You're listening to a Stranger podcast. www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. So last week, a study came out that everybody was talking about, and I'm going to preface my little observations about this study, my little mini rant um, with, you know, the study has to be replicated, small sample size, so grains of salt, sprinkle, sprinkle, sprinkle. But researchers at the University of Montreal gathered together a group of gays, bi, straights, lesbians, and they tested everyone for stress and depression. And they expected that they would find that gay and bi guys were more stressed and more depressed than straight guys. And they actually found the opposite, that Gay and bisexual men, and I'm quoting from reports about the study, had lower depressive symptoms and allostatic load levels, a measure of body stress, than heterosexual men. Um, Stephen Colbert on the Colbert Report last week observed that this might be the case because gay guys don't have to deal with women and bitches be all crazy and shit, basically the implication. Um, but what about bi guys, Stephen? They have to deal with women and bitches be all crazy and shit. So it can't be just the bitches be all crazy and shit thing and bitches don't be all crazy. I'm just uh, making a joke. Don't be please all crazy about that joke, bitches. Andrew Sullivan and some others pointed out that uh, the study found that it was only gay and bi guys who were out to family and friends who had these lower levels of depression and lower levels in their systems of the stress hormone cortisol. And everyone ran around saying, well, this is why we need to – it's a public health matter. We need to encourage gay and bi guys to be out. But what about straight guys? What's the what's the um, solution for them? They can't come out as gay or bi and then be less depressed and healthy, right? Because they're not gay and bi. Uh, so w- why is the study finding this? What, what what were people's theories besides, of course, Stephen Colbert's "bitches be all crazy and shit" theory? And I have a theory about why straight guys are a little more stressed out and sometimes a little more depressed than perhaps gay and bi guys. And I think it's because gay and bi guys have something that straight guys don't and that is a sense of security in our sexual identities and the sense of freedom that comes along with it. I'm not saying that straight guys are secretly gay and they're, not, they're insecure about being straight. I just think there's something about the way straightness is lived and performed by straight guys that gives them a sense of insecurity. Not in their like desire for pussy but in the way they're perceived by others. While some folks <clears throat> do sometimes question the professed sexual identities of some individual bi-identified guys, and we're not going to talk about that right now, no one ever thinks an out-bi guy is secretly, super-duper secretly straight. And no one scrutinizes us out-gay dudes for signs that we might not really be gay. Gay guys can be drag queens or leather guys or both over one long weekend. We can be twinks or bears or both at different stages in our lives. We can be musical theater queens or heavy metal fans or both. No, wait, no, not both. Never both. Not both of those. But so long as you're into dudes and you're out about it, no one wonders if you might secretly be straight. A guy who comes out as queer is, you know, gay or bi, is consequently free to do pretty much whatever the fuck he wants to do. He can be as butch or femme as he wants. Interested in stereotypically gay things like fashion, art, or musicals? Go for it, cocksucker. Interested in stereotypically straight things like football, football, or football? Go for it, cocksucker. No one's going to look at you, whether you're the you know Project Runway fag or the Outsports football fag, and go, oh, you're not really gay. Straight guys aren't as free. 
Sexually speaking, I mean, yes, yes, straight guys, they run the world, the bastards. But when it comes to sexual identity, straight guys are really kind of screwed. They're really kind of trapped. And this is because straightness, straight maleness is and has for decades been defined by two negatives. To be a straight guy, successfully so, means not being a girl and not being a fag. Like I said, I don't know any gay guys who worry that people don't think they're gay. But I get letters every day from straight guys who are not only worried that people might not think they're straight, they themselves are worried that they might not be straight. While gay and bi guys can do whatever the fuck they want, whatever girly or faggy shit we want to do, straight guys are not allowed to do girly or faggy shit. And when a straight guy does do something girly or faggy or gets caught doing something girly or faggy, his sexuality is called into question. By himself, by others. Did you have a feeling? Oh, that's really gay. Did you attend a Broadway show? Oh, you must be gay. Did you use a butt plug and like it? You really must be gay. And this isn't something that just straight guys do to themselves and each other. My Savage Love email inbox overflows with letters from girls, from straight girls, convinced that their boyfriends are secretly gay because their boyfriends like having their nipples played with or their boyfriends cross-dress or their boyfriends like anal. I get letters – Every day from straight girls who are worried that their boyfriends must be gay because their boyfriends want to fuck them in their girl butts. And that's gay because butt sex is gay. It doesn't matter if it's girl butt, goat butt, well butt. It's just butt that makes you gay. So this guy's interest in her butt is evidence that he's secretly super duper homo. Doesn't matter how crazy their boyfriends are about them, how much time their boyfriends spend face down in their pussies, just one girly or faggy interest even an interest in heterosexual anal intercourse and they're wondering if their straight boyfriends aren't really straight. It's nuts. And you know what? I bet, you know, circling back to the study, I bet it's really fucking stressful too. All this doubt. All constantly having your sexuality called into question like this. You know what? I know it's stressful because I spent years trying to pass for straight. I policed my voice, my mannerisms, my interests because I didn't want anyone to think I wasn't straight. If it got out that I spent the weekend memorizing every song in Camelot or reading Pride and Prejudice and having a good cry at the end, no one would think I was straight. I wasn't straight, of course. And after I came out, I stopped having to worry about passing for straight. And that was a big relief. Straight guys, on the other hand, they never get to stop worrying about passing for straight. Straight guys are constantly being scrutinized for evidence of gayness and not real manness by themselves, by each other, by their girlfriends and their wives. And that scrutiny, I think, makes a guy paranoid and insecure and depressed and stressed out. I mean, judging from my mail, constantly having to worry about whether you pass for straight is really fucking stressful. Enough to make a guy's cortisol levels spike. Your calls after this. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Just go to AdamandEve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. I am a 23-year-old gay man uh, living in San Francisco. I just, I'm calling because I just had a hookup with a gorgeous Australian guy. And something that always happens to me happened again. And that's like... We start having sex, and then halfway through, I'll go soft, and then, you know, we'll take it off, he'll start giving me a blowjob, and then, like, we just kind of don't put the condom back on and, and bear back. I'm, first off, surprised at how many guys would, would want to 
would want to bear back. And second of all, you know, I can't come with a condom on. Is, is this like a part of a masturbation death grip thing? I'm not quite sure what's going on. The HIV transmission risk during anal intercourse is 18 times higher than the risk of HIV transmission during vaginal intercourse. So anal intercourse is the most effective HIV transmission route. That is why HIV infection rates are so much higher in gay male communities. Now, knowing this, and we should all know this, but very few of us actually do know this, but knowing this about anal sex should, I think, prompt most of us to reserve anal sex for people that we're dating, romantically involved with, that we know, not that a relationship is immunity. There are plenty of people who have been infected with HIV in relationships. But you don't want to do anal intercourse, unprotected anal intercourse with random strangers. And any random stranger who will let you fuck him without a condom has let other people fuck him without a condom. He is telling you that he is much likelier to already be infected with HIV. And it sounds like you topped him, but still the risk is higher also for you topping during anal sex than it is for somebody topping during vaginal intercourse. So you are not at no risk because you were the top. You were at risk. So you have this condom problem that so many men, straight and gay, have. Oh, I can't keep it hard with the condom on. Oh, I can't get off with the condom on. Well, here's what you do. You either don't fucking have anal sex with strangers you don't fucking have anal sex with people until you're in a long-term relationship and you both test and you can go condom-free or you learn to get off using a condom and you fucking can. And here's how you do it. Start masturbating with condoms on. Start masturbating using a condom. It's actually pretty effective because then you don't have to wipe up. You don't need a cum rag or a dirty tube sock. You can just toss the condom in the trash with your load in it. Um... And then when you're going to have anal sex with people, when you're going to fuck them and you put the condom on and you can't come and you can't come and you can't come because you're wearing a condom, then you don't come. You don't get to come inside his ass unless you can come with the condom on. And if you can't come with the condom on, then the boning of that ass was foreplay. Then you pull out at some point and you jack it the rest of the way. And you don't come on his ass or near his ass. You come on his chest. You come in his face. You come in a tube sock, whatever. You don't blow a load on a fucked asshole because that's risky for the bottom if you are already infected, which you could already be. This annoys me. You can hear the annoyance in my voice. And I don't just get annoyed at gay guys about this. I get annoyed at straight guys. Like, I can't feel anything condom on, which is fucking bullshit because people use condoms, condoms break, and they don't realize it, which tells us that the ramping up of sensation when the condom is removed mid-act isn't so shocking and sudden and overwhelming and why not? Because it doesn't actually feel that different. You need to experiment with different kinds of condoms. Don't just grab condoms that they leave out for free places because they may not be the right condoms for you. Use different kinds until you find the condom that works on your dick. And you also have the option of female condoms. And for a lot of guys who go, I can't come with a condom on, I can't feel anything. Female condoms, particularly for anal sex, are the answer and they're really great. The ass can liner. You stuff it in his ass. It's a condom that you set and forget and you fuck the condom basically. There's nothing on your precious dick to interfere with your sensation. And don't fucking sit there telling yourself that, oh, I can't come with a condom on. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You make a negative erotic association with condoms because you sit there telling yourself, I can't do this with this thing on my dick. 
it increases the likelihood that you can't. What you need to tell yourself is I will not get to do this thing that I want to do, that I enjoy unless this thing is on my dick. And you make a positive mental association with that thing and you learn to do it. And if you can't learn to do it, don't have anal sex with random hot Australian guys. Don't have anal sex with anybody. It's possible to have a really wonderful, fulfilling gay sex life that's all mutual masturbation, oral sex, rolling around, fantasy, whatever. You don't have to default to anal the way straight people default to vaginal. You don't. And gay people didn't used to default to anal like this. It has become normative. It has become definitional in a gay sexual encounter the way vaginal intercourse is and always has been in a straight sexual encounter. And that's one of the things that actually ruins straight people's sex lives or make them, makes them less fulfilling. If somebody's always got to get fucked, well, what if somebody doesn't feel like getting fucked? Well, then you can't have sex. So you have a lot less sex if you're a straight couple and it always has to be vaginal intercourse or it can't happen because hand jobs and oral sex are depressing consolation prizes and it's not really sex unless somebody's getting fucked. And in straight relationships, that leads to a lot fewer intimate, romantic, fulfilling sexual encounters between partners, whether they're partners for life or partners for that evening, than straight people could have otherwise. Gay people shouldn't make that same mistake. We shouldn't adopt the expectation that there's always going to be anal, somebody's always going to be fucked or it isn't gay sex or it isn't happening or it's a disappointment. In part because it'll damage your sex life. You'll have less sex. It'll be less fulfilling sex. And in part because then you're building into your sex life, into every sexual encounter, the riskiest possible thing that you can do as a gay man when it comes to HIV infection, which is anal intercourse. I'm a fan. Love to fuck the butt. I do. But you have to approach it with some respect, care, and caution or you're going to be another HIV-positive 24 or 25-year-old. Not that there's anything wrong with being HIV-positive 24 or 25-year-old. But it is better not to have a chronic lifelong medical condition that requires insanely expensive drugs to keep your ass alive for the rest of your life. It just is. So, sorry I'm not being more sort of coddling of you but you piss me off. Don't be fucking butt without condom. Don't let people fuck your ass without a condom. And don't treat condoms like they're some sort of colossal, unfair, existential monkey wrench the universe has thrown into your sex life. Straight people have always had to worry about birth control. We, gay people, had a little window where we didn't have to worry about anything, it seemed, in the late 60s and early 70s and late 70s and early 80s. But that shit was temporary and that shit is over. We have to worry about death control, HIV control, sexually transmitted infections. We have to worry about all the same things straight people do and take all the same measures with the exception of swallowing birth control pills that straight people do to protect ourselves. And we'll always reconcile yourself to that. Hi, Dan. I'm a 29-year-old gay man who is in a four-year relationship with this guy. Um, we've lived together for a couple of years now. Um, our relationship is a companionate one, or at least that's how I see it. Uh, at the start of the relationship, he told me he was a sexual top, which worked perfectly since um, I'm mostly a bottom. About after a year and a half together, um, our sex life began to slow down, and within the past year or so, we've had sex once. Even at the start, he didn't have the wildest of libidos, and I'm beginning to wonder now just if he has any lust toward me at all. Um, I kind of feel like his best friend more than his lover. Compounding troubles is his health. He's overweight. Um, not terribly so, but enough that it's really lowered his self-esteem. Um, I'm actually into the bearish type of man, and I told him that his extra weight is hot, 
to me, but it doesn't seem to encourage him to make any moves. Um, it's frustrating. I, I've taken the initiative to make moves on him several times, but um, it, I always feel like I have to be the one to start things. So anyway, my friends think that I'm just waiting around for a change that is never going to happen and that I just have to kind of take it or leave it. And uh, I just don't want to believe that. He just makes me feel fantastic in so many other ways, just not in bed. We tried to open up our relationship once, and he said just if I did anything on the side that he just really didn't want to know about it. Um, I was kind of surprised by that, but I agreed. And I ended up having a safe one night fleeing with a guy and I wanted to tell him I I did and he got upset and said he thought that I wasn't actually going to take advantage of it being open um, and I felt terrible and I told him that if he wasn't okay with it anymore then the relationship should just be monogamous again which I have honored um, I'm confused and I want to do the right thing but I also want to fuck um, if this is an issue with my boyfriend's head then I'm thinking you might suggest to shrink, but he doesn't have any medical insurance or the money to really make that a feasible option. So yeah, Dan, help me out if you can. Um, should I give up on this really great guy that makes me happy um, in so many other ways, just in search for some action between the sheets? Thanks a lot. If I were you, I'd be mad at my boyfriend for putting me in this situation. He doesn't want to fuck you but he doesn't want anyone else to fuck you. He gave you permission to fuck other people. Then when you did fuck somebody else, he got mad at you because he didn't think you would act on that. What? That just seems like someone who's setting traps and landmines for you to step on because emotionally they like to they're, – they're getting off on dicking with your head somehow. I don't know what's up with your boyfriend. You know, Maybe it's easier for him to blame his body. Maybe he can say, oh, I've gained weight and I feel really insecure and I'm just you know, sexually shut down because of that. Or maybe he's just not into you. Maybe he's not physically attracted to you. Maybe he's one of those people and they're out there and I hear from them who when they fall in love with somebody and it's the honeymoon phase or when they first met and they're still quasi-strangers to each other, there's a lot of desire and attraction and the better they get to know that person, the more in love they get, the closer they get, the more emotionally connected they get the less desire they have for that other person sexually. Maybe he's that and it's easier for him to say it's because of my body. It's because of the weight gain because admitting that you know he has this major sexual emotional malfunction is harder or he feels like maybe it would be crueler to tell you that the problem isn't him or the extra 20 pounds or 30 pounds. The problem's you or you know that he's not attracted to you yet he can't let you go. Because you guys are emotionally dependent on each other and he can't let you sleep with anybody else. And this is just unfair. And there's no way we'll get a truthful answer out of him necessarily. You know, We could badger him. You could badger him. Is it me? Is it you? Are you one of those guys who when they fall in love with somebody isn't attracted to them anymore? What the fuck is going on? And if he's being a weaselly liar about it, you pressing him on the issue, you're unlikely to get a truthful answer. And if you have to beat it out of him, you're unlikely to believe whatever he tells you in the end anyway. So I would advise you to go. I would advise you to leave this guy because he's not meeting your needs. But you love him and it's great. OK. Then you go to him and say, we love each other and it's great. But clearly this is going to be a best friends, intimacy, love, connection, companionate kind of marriage and this is 
more common than anybody I think is willing to acknowledge. There's a lot of long-term gay couples where they rarely have sex with each other. They love each other. They sleep together. They're physically intimate with each other. They're just not having sex. They have sex with other people. This also happens in some straight relationships. They're companionate, not passionate. And if that's what he wants or if that's what you guys are going to be together, then you need to be that. And then you need permission to get sex elsewhere without guilt trips when you come home about it, period, the end. And if he can't sign off on the latter, the no guilt trips, you can fuck other people, he can't have the companionate, loving, lasting, long-term, truly intimate relationship with you that it seems that he wants absent the sex. And if it is the 20 pounds or 30 pounds, if that really is what's going on, he needs to get his ass to a gym. He needs to tell you that if that's the stumbling block, if that's the thing, that weight gain that's destroying your relationship, then he needs to fix that. He needs to value your relationship more than – am I allowed to say his current dietary choices and exercise routines, whatever? He needs to prioritize fixing the problem, the thing that is fucking your relationship up, if indeed that is the thing fucking your relationship up. And if he can't do any of that, if he's not willing to do any of that, then he can't have you. And you don't want him because he's not going to make you happy. This is just going to go on like this for years. Every once in a while, you guys can fight about it and it will be awful and you'll feel sexually deprived. And when you finally have had your fill, when you're finally done and you end this, you will look back on those sexless years with regret and anger. And you won't be able to have a relationship with him then, even as friends. So push the issue now. Press the issue now. Figure out what the fuck is actually going on now. And if you have to end it now, you're likelier to have him in your life as a friend than if you wait five years and end it then because you'll be so angry about wasted time and being jerked around that you won't even be able to look at him. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Go to adamandeve.com and order almost any one item at 50% off. Choose a new adult toy, lube, or almost anything from over 18,000 adult products. Then at checkout, enter offer code SAVAGE and you'll get to choose three free adult DVDs. That's right. You get to choose your own DVDs. Plus, receive a free mystery gift and free shipping on your entire order. Choose from all kinds of genres for both gay and straight folks. And now you can also shop on your mobile phone at Adam and Eve. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan Savage. I am going to a destination wedding in a couple months in which I am a bridesmaid. I'm really excited and I was really excited for my boyfriend because it's kind of a romantic location and I'm going to be there for about a week beforehand so I'll have plenty of time to relax and hang out. Only thing is my boyfriend can't really afford to go. Uh, he's currently unemployed and closing unemployment. However, about right after the trip, he's um, going to be able to start working at his old job again and is hopefully going to be making double what he used to make. Um, I've seen a lot of friends get into money trouble with boyfriends. You know, they break up or just cause stress, and I don't want to do that. But I really don't want to go without him and for a whole week and just be really really good to go with someone. Um, do you think it's worth it? If you like him and you want him there, pay his way because he's broke and he doesn't have a job. You should have the kind of relationship I hope with somebody you want to spend this kind of time with where you can say to him, uh, this is going to blow a kind of big hole in my budget and maybe you could pay me back or you can, you know, the next time we go away, it's on you and see what he says. But if you want him there, 
and you have the money and he doesn't, cough it up. Pay his way. That's what people do for each other and then he can reciprocate. If you're worried that you'll break up before he has a chance to reciprocate, then make it much more explicit. Say, I'd like you to come. Uh, it would be really fun. It's going to be in this destination. I hate destination weddings but whatever. It's going to be in this crazy destination because it's a destination wedding because my friends are so self-centered and insecure. They had to make everybody go far for the – anyway, I don't want to get on a destination wedding digression here. But you say, is this destination? It looks really fun. Uh, do you want to come? And then if he says, I would like to come, say, I, you know, I would love for you to be there and I can spot you the money. Uh, but I would kind of need you to you know, reimburse me once you get your new job and, and your paychecks are rolling in. Cool? And then see what he says. If he says, cool, cool. And if you're sincerely worried that you might break up before that job starts and he can pay you back, then go alone and fuck a groomsman. Hi, Dan. Um, I am a 24-year-old, happily married, straight female living somewhere in the Midwest. My husband and I have been considering having a threesome and in talking with it, we've discovered a similar kink. Um, we are specifically looking for either a pretty cross-dresser or a transgendered person, um, more specifically male to female. We just have no idea where to look for this. None of our friends are half as open sexually as we are. Um, and we looked online and found some links to some parties and some questionable dating websites. But really, we got no idea where to start. Um, ideally, I'd like to find someone who could be kind of a friends with benefits with us, someone who we could go see movies with, have dinner with, and come home and maybe fool around a little. So any help would be greatly appreciated. We got no idea. Joining me by phone, Buck Angel, porn star, activist, writer, thinker, uh, the sexer of trans men. How are you doing, Buck? I'm doing great. Thanks so much. Uh, sure thing. Thank you for jumping on the phone with us. You know, I, it seems to me that we're kind of having two waves here. We're in it's kind of a second wave of trans awareness. There was a lot of, you know, as people became more aware of trans people and people who were MTFs and FTM, there was this time where sort of trans people were seen as sexless as sort of kind of tragic, sexless, asexual folks who were about gender and about nothing else, not about desire and certainly not about desirability. But as we become – people become more aware of trans people and that trans people exist, there are now you know trans people out there asserting themselves as sexual beings with sexual agency. There always have been, of course, just more awareness of. But increasingly, there are people who are – looking for trans people as partners, uh, as is the case with this couple. They're looking for an MTF, a male-to-female transsexual, that they'd like to, it sounds, include in more of a polyamorous thing than just an objectification thing. And there are, of course, people out there who are attracted to trans men as well. Do you regard this as a, a an achievement of yours in particular because you've worked so hard to bring this new era of awareness about? <laughs> well, I would like to think that it has a lot to do with me. I can't say specifically if it does. I think possibly me being doing this work for such a long time, eventually, you know, people had started to get to know me and maybe looking into what does this mean, a man who has a vagina? And that helping other people starting to feel comfortable with themselves did start, I guess, start a, a revolution. But I, I don't think I, I, I might have jump started. But I think what's happening now is more people like myself are becoming more comfortable and talking about the fact that they uh, feel comfortable in their bodies, whether or not they conform to what society 
says you are as a man or a woman. And that's a huge, I mean, I just take a huge big step. Or conversely, what society says you're allowed to want as a man or a mm-hmm. woman. Right. That you have to want one or the other, but there are people out there who can offer you more of both or either. Uh, yeah, exactly. The way I look at it. Now, now of course, there's going to be people who are going to say what I'm saying right now is, is, is inappropriate, especially some people in the trans community, because uh, saying that somebody who wants somebody, for example, like myself, who has a, a man who has a vagina, is fetishizing that. But I, I, I personally, I mean, fetishizing is kind of, to me, such a, a such a, 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 a big word that it's not necessarily true in every aspect. I mean, I think that it just means that that person is looking for, you know, they just happen to be attracted to that specific type of thing. I don't necessarily, and I don't think fetishizing is a bad thing. Some no, no, nor, it is. nor is objectifying. It's the, 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 the problem no. is some people say, oh, if you are fetishizing someone or you're objectifying someone, you can't also see them as a human being right. with needs and issues and desires of their own. And those things aren't mutually exclusive. You can objectify right. someone and still see them as a human. I objectify the shit out of my husband. <laughs> and I, I think that's fucking hot. That's so hot. <laughs> But I still see him as a human being, and you know, I've, I've this has come up since the day one of Savage Love. I think one of the first columns I wrote was addressing a question from someone who is an amputee, talking about amputee fetishists and how awful that was. And I was like, well, maybe awful, maybe not awful, depends on the amputee fetishist. If they can only see your stump and nothing else, awful. But if they see that, right. and that's part of what draws them to you, and they see everything else that you are, maybe not so awful. Uh, no, it's not. And I have to tell you, for myself. It has been incredibly uh, uh, rewarding for, for pe- people to find me sexually attractive because I think that it's made my self-esteem so much better. I mean, you know, I don't know if that sounds kind of egotistical or not, but it, it has helped my me in feeling so much better in my body that I'm not a freak, that there are people who look at me sexually and feel sexually attracted to me okay, because, so what, you know. What yeah. would your advice be for this couple, for, for any couple, any person, any individual out there? who is not just open to dating a trans person they might happen to come across, uh, but are actively seeking out someone who's trans in specific because that's the sex partner that they want. Where right. – how do you do that without offending people and how do you, how do you find people? Well, I, I don't think necessarily you're going to be offensive if you're open to what you're looking for, if you're honest. To me, it's all about the honesty. It's like I am specifically looking for this type of person, and I am turned on by this type of person. And you have to go to either like maybe you know certain types of uh, sites that, that post for people to look, you know, like like FetLife or something like that, where people are specifically looking for that type of person or a dating site or something like that. And I think if you're honest, and out there, that person is obviously looking for somebody like you too. So to me, that's a win-win situation right there. You're being very ethical uh, by not citing your own dating site. I want you to go <laughs> ahead. And, I want you to go ahead and throw it out there. You started a dating site specifically for people who are looking to date trans men. Exactly, and I did it specifically for that reason because a lot of guys like myself didn't feel that they were going to be able to date. And I felt so bad for them. And I'm like, you know, do you know how many guys write me daily and girls, more men than women, but how do I meet a guy like you, Buck? I really want to meet a guy like you. And I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. So I started BuckAngelDating.com specifically for that. And it's been incredible. Is there, is there a site like it for people who want to date trans women? I, I'm sure there is. I can't name it off the bat, to be honest with you, because I'm not in that community. 
very, you know, I'm, I'm just not. My community is the trans male community. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I, and to be honest with you, I try not to sort of get myself as a representation of that community because sometimes things happen and I, I don't want <laughs> those things to happen to me. <laughs> now, uh, but, but if, they, if this couple pokes around a little bit, they should find a website that's like BuckAngelDating.com, which oh. is for trans men, for people who are interested in dating sure. trans women. They're out there. But on BookAngelDating.com, you can too. I've made it, I've made it open to, to uh, trans women as well as trans men because some trans women want to meet trans men and some trans men want to meet trans women and some gender queer people want to meet trans people and some people who don't identify as anything want to meet trans people. Do you know there's such a wide variety of people now? But the most important bit of advice for this couple is just put out – you know, put it out there, what they want, what they're looking for, not to be ashamed of it, to go ahead and objectify someone in the same way that you might welcome objectification yourself from someone to you know, establish that initial attraction while emphasizing that you're going to see them as a full and complete and three-dimensional human being at the same time that you can fuck and chew gum basically and objectify right. and see somebody as a three-dimensional human being at once, right? Exactly. Like, just have fun. Like, you know, it's, it, life is hard enough. Let's just have a really good time. Especially, I think it's so awesome that they're looking, you know, for somebody who might not necessarily feel like no one's looking for them. You know what I mean? Because they feel so bad. So I think just what you said is right on. Buck Angel, thank you so much for joining us. Awesome as always. BuckAngel.com and BuckAngelDating.com. Check those websites out. Hey, Dan. Um, I'm a freshman at college and I have my first college job, which is really exciting. Um, I work in the campus gym, um, like in a little room in the way back of the building for the dance company. I like I repair the costumes and I fit the dancers in their costumes, etc. Um, and mostly it's just me in this little closet in the back of the room. But the past couple times that I've gone to work, this one dancer will come and show up, like standing in the doorway outside of the closet, and he'll just watch me. And, um, it's, I don't know, it's a little unnerving. Sometimes he'll talk to me and he'll compliment me like, oh, you look nice. Or he'll compliment, you know, the work that I'm doing. But mostly he just stands there and watches me. And it really kind of freaks me out. Um, he hasn't actually done anything. Um, oh, I forgot to mention, this guy is much older. He's not actually a student. He's an alum who's in the alum company. So he's maybe in his 30s and he's much bigger than me. And, um, I don't know, normally this wouldn't worry me, but... The room where I work is in the way back of the building, and I feel like if something did happen, no one would hear me. Like all the all the walls are soundproof because it's a dance studio, and the music from the different studios are all like coming together. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't really know what to do, Dan. This guy hasn't actually like tried to touch me or anything, um, and he hasn't said anything inappropriate. But when he just stands there, it really kind of freaks me out. What we have here is another situation where a woman doesn't feel empowered to be assertive about her comfort uh, coupled with a situation where you don't want to cast aspersions on this guy. Maybe he's just thoughtless and isn't you know, being considerate and doesn't realize that being older and larger and how small the room is and him standing there staring at you, maybe he's doing it thoughtlessly, it could potentially be unnerving. Maybe he's not one of those guys who realizes when he's walking through a parking garage in the middle of the night that he's walking a little too close to the woman who's walking through the parking garage alone in the middle of the night and doesn't slow the fuck down. Sometimes guys do that because they're dense. Dense. We'll just leave it at dense. So I think what you need to say to him in this moment is just look at him when he's making you feel uncomfortable and say, "It just I'm a little claustrophobic and it weirds me out when you stand there staring at me. So fuck the fuck off. Go stand elsewhere. I'll bring it out. In a way, perhaps it's not as, you know, 
confrontational as I may just made it sound, just be like, hey, dude, it's a crowded small room. Weirds me out when somebody stands in the door and stares at me. Go away. Go away now. I'll bring you your costume or whatever it is that I'm working on later. I'll come find you. Go away. Go away. Claim your space and assert yourself in a way that you are comfortable in your own space. And what we have here is a situation where a guy is making you uncomfortable. Maybe he has ill intent. Maybe he does not. But you have a right at that moment when you're being made to feel uncomfortable, whether someone is ill intent or not, to speak up, to defend yourself, to claim the space that you need to feel comfortable in. So speak the fuck up. Just tell him, get the fuck out of my office. Get out of my door. It's your office. It's your workspace. Say, go away. Dude, go away. Don't block the door like that. You're a fire fucking hazard. Go away. Hi, Dan. I was just wondering because I've heard you say a lot about people who masturbate and specifically men who masturbate with a too tightly of a grip and kind of damage themselves permanently and make it so their future partners aren't tight enough to get them off through intercourse of whatever type. So I have a son who is not old enough to really be masturbating yet, but I want to know if I could do anything to make it so I could, you know, give him his sex talk, but also include that into it to make it so he doesn't you know, mess up his masturbation. Joining me by phone is Amy Lang, founder of Birds and Bees and Kids, which helps parents have kick-ass conversations with their kids about sex and relationships. You can check her out at bbkvideo.com. Amy, this comes up a lot in Savage Love. Guys who humped mattresses, put their dicks between the mattress and the box springs, jerked off as children humping walls, carpets, and then they move on to partnered intercourse. And guess what? The inside of a vagina, a mouth, or an ass doesn't feel like a scratchy carpet covered in dried cum, and they can't get the stim they need to get off, and they've kind of ruined their dicks for partner sex. Or they employed the death grip. They've gripped themselves so hard in a way that no throat, ass, or twat can grip that they have a really hard time coming from partnered intercourse. How does a parent bring up masturbatory technique when talking to an adolescent boy? Oh, Lord. Um, you know, it's kind of a funny subject. Like, we want our kids to be comfortable talking to us about anything, and we want them to, like, I mean, I personally believe masturbation is key to being a healthy, normal human being and super important. And so one of my deals is that we're really not, like, the joy of sex for our kids. We don't need to talk to them about how to have sex per se, and for me that also includes masturbation. So what I would love to suggest is that parents tread lightly because I do think guys need to know that the harder they are on their dick, the harder it's going to be when they're having doing the real thing with a real orifice that is not, like you said, a scratchy carpet. Or a, hand, um, or a handful of bony fingers, you know? Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. So a couple things. I think that really, especially if it's a mom talking to a son, I'm all about note writing and texting. Boys don't want to have eye-to-eye conversations, especially about masturbation, especially about their dicks. So if you can either do it in the car when they're behind you and just say, hey, public service announcement, you're old enough, you're going to be jerking off Sunday, here's the deal, you're squeezing the life out of your beautiful tallywhacker is not good a good idea, here's why, um, use a light touch, uh, you know, vary things. I'm a big fan of masturbating with condoms because that will teach your kid 
how to have sex with a condom if they're used to how that feels. And, um, you know, you can do that. You can talk about it, but I would say keep it really general and um, then cross your fingers. Because uh, my, really, The only thing I would add uh, to, to Amy Lang's excellent advice, caller, is to do it as a download. I think a lot of parents get hung up because they want to have a conversation. They want to initiate a conversation, throw the subject out there, and then answer questions and have a dialogue. No. Your kid doesn't – like Amy – like you said, Amy, the kid doesn't really want to have a conversation with you about it. The sooner they can end it, the, the, the sooner they will. So you need to in advance think, what do I need to impart and then impart that shit. And it isn't a dialogue. It's a monologue. You say, here's some things yeah. you need to know. Da 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 Any questions? No, no questions yet. Da 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 I'm done. Any questions? No? Okay. Just do it as a download. I think where parents go south is they start the conversation, they see how uncomfortable they're making their kid. They say, do you, you know, do you want to talk about this? The kid doesn't have any questions. And the kid, of course, is going to look like they don't want to fucking talk about it because that's what they're supposed to look like. And you need to power through with the info they need, not elaborated, not like penthouse letters for children, but what they need to know, the bare outlines, like Amy says, and get through it and do the download. And I think, too, like throwing, like having the sex talk, no, you don't do the intercourse talk and the masturbation talk and the puberty talk and the oral sex talk and the anal sex talk in one in one long, drawn-out horrific moment. It all should be downloads. It all should be short and sweet. Hey, you know what masturbation is? This is what it is. You're a guy. This is something you should know. Right. So when you're doing that, be easy on yourself. And usually that, you don't want to be in a position. And that masturbation con- conversation usually comes long after the where do babies come from? What is yeah. intercourse? What is sex? What are you, you know, what is this about? So usually the, the, the masturbation conversation and the birth control conversations are follow-up conversations long after they have the outline and what they need to know about the birds and the bees. These are the last conversations you usually have with your kid as a parent. Yes, definitely. And they're, yeah, and they are the ones that are hardest on the parents. hardest <laughs> <laughs> on the kid. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, God, here we go. Yeah, they're hard on so, the kid, a- too. They are hard on the kid, too. But you have to ignore that because they're not responsible for their sex education. You are. And and you know what's harder on your kid? What's going to be harder on your kid is an unplanned pregnancy at 14 or 15 because you were too embarrassed to do the full download about birth control. Or, you know, your kid at 25 having a dick that doesn't work with a partner because you were too embarrassed at 12, 12, 13, which is around the time boys start masturbating. To have that conversation about what, – what, it does sound like TMI. Like you're having a conversation with your kid about technique. That right. when it comes to masturbation, boys, you got to you know, vary your routine, left hand, right hand, light touch, soft touch, lube, not lube. You really have to not be you know, super gentle with your dick. You don't want to instill a hair trigger any more than you want to create death grip syndrome where only pounding your dick between two books can get it off. You want your dick to function exactly. in anticipation of what you're going to be using it for, which is ultimately exactly. in the long run not your hand or a, a, a box spring. Exactly. And, you know, the other thing too is this with this caller, this concern about him having a death grip is really like the tiniest drop in the bucket. I had a, a client once say to me, I'm so worried. I'm so worried that my son, I'm so worried my son will never have sex. I'm afraid he's going to be a 40 year old virgin. And it was, all, I, I looked at her and I said, 
oh my God, your child is three. <laughs> Seriously. Let's get the correct names for the anatomical body parts out of your mouth and into his head before we worry about whether or not he's actually going to have sex. So this kind of, for me, falls under that heading. Like, Public service announcement, really, you got bigger fish to fry. It is. You're, you're, controlling, you're controlling for something that is highly unlikely, but should that happen, highly problematic. Right. Right? So you just want right. to – it's just a base you have to tag. Like you put that in a kid's head and you really never have to talk about it again because I think a kid who has had yeah. that info imparted, that sticks. They're not going to ruin themselves. Right, exactly. but the number of kids who, exactly. e- even among kids who haven't had this download, the number of kids who wind up with death grip syndrome are, is very small. But exactly. if you can eliminate the odds of something, you know, a small risk fucking up your kid's life, you do. That's why you vaccinate your children. You're kind of like masturbatory vaccination here with this info. Exactly, that's exactly it. So we really need to focus on the big picture first. And it sounds like her kid's pretty young, so. Focus on the big stuff first, and then we get nuanced thinking. No hit and run. No, hey, we're going to have our sex talk day today. It's hump day. Let's talk about sex. <laughs> None of that. Thank you very much. Amy Lang, founder of Birds and Bees and Kids. You can learn more about her at bbkvideo.com. Thanks so much for jumping on the phone with us today, Amy. My pleasure. Hi, Dan and Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. Uh, just a comment um, after hearing the senior physician of uh, Planned Parenthood episode, there was a lot of talk about female condoms, and I want to say, as a straight male, they are awesome. And a little bit of uh, finger-wagging at Dan that I didn't try them, my wife and I did not try them for a long time, partially because you kept calling them trash bag liners. Um, It's not a sexy image. Now, granted, they're a little goofy, and the first time you try them, there's, or at least the first time we tried them, there was a little bit of a chuckling and, and giggling about it. But that all went away when we started using them. And if people complain about how condoms feel, uh, the female condom will wipe all of that away. Hi, Dan. I just wanted to call and say thank you. Um, I work in the restaurant business and greatly appreciate you getting people to fuck first and then go out to eat. As a sommelier and as someone who's worked as a server, I can tell you, we know when you fucked. You are so much easier and nicer to wait on. Nothing is a bigger pain in the ass than people who are trying to get it together and figure out if it's going to happen and when it's going to happen, and you get caught in the middle of their awkward, awkward dinner. So thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Um, I know I will obviously probably be the fucking first and then going to work. Hey, Dan. I've been catching up on some back episodes, and I had to share that this morning my girlfriend and I were getting at it. She crawled up and sat on my face with her hands pressing against the wall. And at one point, I looked up to look while she was moaning, and she had arched back, and all I could see were her stomach and her breasts. And in my head, all I could hear was your voice. Morning, Vista. <laughs> I almost burst out laughing, but man, to keep it together long enough to have a glorious morning. So thank you for a laugh, but please, please get out of my head. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a call or question for a future show, give us a call, 206-201-2720. And... What are you doing on Valentine's Day, February 14th? If you are in or near Seattle, 
please join us at the Neptune Theater. Doors is at 7, show at 8. Tickets at tinyearl.com slash S-A-V-L-O-V, Sablove. Uh, Simon Rich from Saturday Night Live and the New Yorker is going to be there giving sex advice with me and Mistress Matisse and Twisted Monk's going to be there the Human Cupcake's going to be there we're going to have lap dances and sex toy giveaways it is going to be fun and it is for single people only you couples fuck off actually you couples you're invited too but we might make fun of you just so you're braced for it uh, we're almost sold out so get your tickets now if you want to join us for a live taping of the Savage Love Cast on Valentine's Day at the Neptune Theater in Seattle once again tickets at tinyearl.com slash S-A-V-L-O-V 206-201-2720 The podcast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at-risk youth. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.